Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. I'm so glad to be here with you guys this morning. I hope you are also well caffeinated and excited to be here on what is Palm Sunday. And if you've not been in the church for a while, Palm Sunday really is that anticipatory week coming into the Easter weekend. Uh, We'll celebrate the, not say celebrate, but remember the death of our Savior on Friday at our Good Friday service right here. And that will be the last service that we will have here at ACF for the summer. But Palm Sunday is that time when we Uh, anticipate and the people at Jesus's time when he came into Jerusalem really for that last time before uh, the week that he spent and then was finally crucified on a cross before he was raised again from the dead they were anticipating someone to come in and overthrow Rome they were anticipating the coming one the Messiah and so that's kind of where we are this morning as we anticipate the coming of our Savior and I think no better time to celebrate Palm Sunday than to wrap up our series that we've been doing called Gravedigger uh, and it's about shame and gravedigger being, uh, or shame being a gravedigger, some, someone who or in a force that wants to put us into the ground and destroy the purpose that God has for our life. But Jesus is the grave robber and he wants to take us from the death that we experience in life and in our sin and our shame and raise us again and create something completely new. Uh, so my name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church. And I want to share a little bit about myself as we begin this morning. Uh, Back uh, a few years ago, uh, when I was 17, maybe 18, it's just been a little bit too long to remember, but uh, in Tucson, Arizona, where I grew up, it doesn't snow that often. Um, And so it's hard to believe that. I remember one time they canceled school when they had a couple of inches of snow, because they just don't have any way to deal with that. So it was a big deal, and and uh, that was awesome. But there was one day in Tucson, it had snowed. Uh, at least up on the mountain just north of Tucson. It's right there on the, the edge of, of the town. And they have a few ski runs up there. The problem is they only have one plow for the whole mountain. And so when it does snow and make skiing really awesome, they close the mountain down. And usually it's, it's one of two closures. It's either completely closed, nobody can go up because it's so dangerous. Maybe they have like, you know, five inches of snow or something. And then you're supposed to laugh at that because we live in Alaska. We get a lot of snow. And then uh, they also sometimes just close it for... Uh, non-residents, people who don't have four-wheel drives or chains on their vehicles. Um, so uh, when it snowed, we knew that the ski slopes were open and probably awesome. I wanted to go up there with a friend, and so we were trying to figure out, like, well, maybe the mountain, we'll just risk it. We'll just go up there and see if it's open for us. Um, but we figured it probably was at least closed for anyone except four-wheel drive and chains. I didn't have a four-wheel drive at the time. My dad did. Uh, he had a 76 Chevy Stepside that he had built up 
he had uh, three-quarter ton axles, bigger tires. He had a 350 engine with a 400 crank. Some of you were just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And others of you are like, just keep preaching, brother. I, I get this. Uh, and it had uh, tune port fuel injection on it. Uh, it was lifted. It was painted candy apple red. It was beautiful. And I asked my dad, you know, as prideful, pridefully and as boldly as I could, can I borrow your truck so I can go skiing today? And he said, absolutely, you can borrow it which I was shocked and amazed. Um, so I, my friend and I load up the truck. We go to the main road going up Mount Lemmon. There's only one. Um, and they have the road closed completely. You can't get up there. But that didn't stop us. So we knew there was a road on the backside of Mount Lemmon, a dirt road, not a paved road, that we could get up because we had a four-wheel drive. So why not? So we try, and we spend hours getting up the backside, the dirt road, up going up Mount Lemmon, which is not, you know, it's snowy, slushy, it's horrible. Uh, a lot like just four-wheeling in Alaska, but we get, uh, you know, we're winching ourselves up tree to tree at the, towards the top because it's just getting super slick. We finally make it within about a quarter mile to the, the top where then we could just turn off and go skiing, and Pima County Sheriff's Department has a roadblock right there, and they've got officers sending you back down the mountain. Nobody can get up. We were so discouraged. We spent half the day getting up there, and we had to turn around. So we turn around and start heading back down the mountain, and just a few minutes after that turn, I remember driving and hearing thump, 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 and something is just destroying itself up underneath this truck. And so we stop, and we look, and the rear drive shaft's just hanging. Um, and I didn't know a lot about mechanics at that time, but I knew this was not good. And this is way before cell phones, so it was a few years ago. And so we, we had to figure this out. And so we, after a little bit, we figured out we had just the right amount of tools. We took the rear drive shaft off and then drove down the mountain on the front drive shaft in four-wheel drive. So you can do that, evidently. And we did. But I knew on the way down, I was going to have to call my dad. And that was back when we, you had to find a pay phone and, and put money in it and then call them. And so I knew the whole time I'm just like in my, my gut. I'm just feeling this shame. I'm feeling this embarrassment and like what is coming? The hammer is going to be laid down because my dad had agreed to let me borrow the truck to go up the front side of Mount Lemmon saying nothing about the back side um, of going up and actually four-wheel driving this thing. I call him and I say, hey, I broke your truck. This is what happened. And I got happy to tell you that he was full of grace. And he actually kind of laughed. He's like, oh, is that the, the, the big nut that holds the drive shaft yoke on in the front? I'm like, yeah, it was gone. And we couldn't find it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's fallen off before. I should have told you that. I kind of feel bad that it fell off. <laughs> Shame. I was guilty. And I was like all the way down just worried that I had destroyed the relationship with my dad, that I'd overstepped the boundary, and that it was never going to be repaired. That was all going through my little 17-year-old mind. And my dad extended me grace uh, in the light of that truth. Uh, that, was, that was amazing. And so as we, as we think about shame and guilt, I think it's important to stop and maybe define our terms a little bit. Because I think there is healthy and unhealthy guilt and healthy and unhealthy shame. Healthy guilt is I did something wrong and I'm guilty. And that feeling of guilt is really supposed to drive me to resolve what made me guilty. To correct the issue uh, the choice that I had made, or the sin that may be in my life. Unhealthy guilt is, I didn't do anything wrong, but I feel guilty. Or maybe somebody else is telling me that I'm guilty, but I'm not, and I know that I'm not. When I was uh, just early on married, uh, my wife and I, we lived in Tucson, so we were going up towards Phoenix, and we stopped off at some outlet malls between Tucson and Phoenix, because I absolutely love to shop. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and 
So we stopped, and my wife needed to freshen up right off the bat. So there's a food court, and there's like two glass double doors kind of leading in the airlock system. And the restrooms are right there. And so I just go off, and I, I'm standing there. Just, and I'm like, I'm super cool in my own head, like staring off into the you know, wild blue yonder, just thinking about life and problems and whatever. So I'm doing that. My wife's gone, and this guy on the, you know, the forearm crutches that people sometimes are, are required to use, he comes up, and the first thing I get is, you are such a jerk. You are so selfish. I can't believe it. What is wrong with you? And I have no idea who this man is. I've never seen him. I've, you know, come out of my daydream, and now I'm, like, being assaulted by this guy. And evidently what had happened was he was trying to get through those two glass doors, and I'm, like, the closest guy to it. I should have seen him, but I didn't. But he thinks I should have seen him, and he thinks that I did and just ignored him. And so he's all upset at me for not being polite and and opening the doors for him and helping him struggle getting through those doors. I wasn't guilty, but he said I was. And I felt guilt. I felt that guilty. That was unhealthy guilt. It was somebody else was putting that on me. Now you're like, you guys are, you're a horrible person. Why would you daydream and not let (laughs) Then we have, we have healthy shame. And that's that I did something wrong. Because there's a flaw in my character or in who I am. And I need that, that shame is to drive me, just like healthy guilt, to address that issue. To address the character flaw that I find because of that. Unhealthy shame is I didn't do anything wrong, but I feel this shame. Or somebody else has put shame on me. Maybe because of a, a physical assault, a sexual assault. Those things can develop uh, early on in life, and they can leave shame in you, and there's no reason for it. And that's unhealthy shame. And we've been dealing with uh, a, a definition that Pastor Brian brought up uh, the very first week, and so I want to uh, read it. And this is a definition we've been working with on shame. Shame is an identity built around your lack of ability to accept yourself and be comfortable in your own skin. Shame is the fear that you will somehow be revealed and seen for who you are, and then no one will accept you. Shame can do so much damage. And on your uh, talk sheet this morning, the notes that you were given on the way in, if you have those, and we're going to put it on the screen as well if you don't, uh, Pastor Brian talked about the cycle of shame that we get, can get trapped into. And that we, were, we started out in the garden with peace and acceptance, enjoying God and him enjoying us. And that relationship was unbroken. There was no shame. And Pastor Brian said, naked and unashamed. Uh, That's what we were in the garden. And then we chose to sin. We chose to violate the the law of God. And so fear and shame came into the the equation. Because of the fear and shame, Adam and Eve, and we do the same thing, they, they went and hid and they started blaming each other, right? But that leads to more shame, which leads to fear. And that leads to more hiding and more blaming. And so we get caught in this cycle, and you can see on the the diagram that repentance is the way to break this cycle. And we're going to look at what that really means. There's a lot in there, uh, but we want to see, how do you do that? Practically, what does that look like? Um, And there's good news, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. uh, And God has given us great tools uh, to accomplish that. As a parent, I can can feel shame, and and maybe it's just me, maybe it's not you guys. um, But I can be happy leaving work. And I work here at the church, so usually I'm awesomely happy when I leave. Anticipating, you know, my kids hugging me as I walk in the door. And just, you know, there's like flowers floating in the air and butterflies. And it's the best little scene in the world that they just can't wait for dad to get home. And I open the door, and all I hear is screaming. 
the kids are screaming at each other at who's not doing their chore and why so-and-so touched me, and it's just chaos, and I get angry. So I start yelling because I'm upset that they're yelling at each other, which I'm sure is helpful. And so then they start feeling stressed and shame, and so then they lead, that leads to more disobedience, which leads to more yelling, which leads to more stress and shame, and that leads to more disobedience, which leads to more yelling. And so I get caught in this shame cycle. I know you guys don't. Maybe you can tell me your secret to, to not be caught in there. Maybe you're a student and you've cheated on a test. And there's shame as a result of that. When I was in middle school, I was in a Spanish class. And you'd think growing up in Tucson I would speak Spanish. But I didn't. And I didn't pay much attention to it. And so when I got to Spanish class, I also had a horrible study habit. So I was doing poorly. We had a test coming up. So I decided I would solve that problem by just writing all the answers on a piece of paper and taking the test off of that. So I did. And amazingly, I didn't get caught. And I thought, this is great. I got a great grade on the the test, didn't get caught, and now I'm going to get a good grade in Spanish. The problem is, within a few weeks, I started thinking, I I don't think it was a thinking, but a feeling inside myself that I just wasn't as smart as other people around me. Shame had entered my life. Maybe you're here today and your parents are raising your kids because of an addiction in your life. And every time you think about that, every time you're reminded of that, there's a feeling of inferiority, there's a feeling of I'm just not good enough, a voice inside your head saying it'll never be right. You'll never be right. Shame. Maybe you've gone through a divorce And every time you talk to some of your friends who are happily married and they're telling you great stories of of their relationship, you just feel less than them. You feel shame. I went caribou hunting last year and came up empty. I mean completely empty. I didn't even see a caribou the entire time I went hunting. So as we're driving back from Cantwell, back to Chugiak where I live, all I can think about is how I'm going to have to tell my wife, my kids, my friends at church, that I failed miserably. Shame. Maybe you're single here today, and it seems like all your friends have boyfriends or girlfriends, or maybe, maybe you're just married, and all your friends seem to have kids. They're just popping out like rabbits, and you feel like you'll never be good enough, like something must be wrong with you to have just be single or to be childless. Shame. The reality is that all of us feel shame. All of us struggle with that shame. And ultimately, undealt with shame will lead to our destruction. And I want to be clear that shame is not just out to make you feel bad about yourself. If that's all it was, like we could deal with feeling bad about ourselves. But shame is out for our utter destruction. He is out to destroy you personally, who you are. He is out to destroy every relationship that you are in, your complete destruction but thankfully God has given us great tools to deal with it God has given us his wisdom so that we can interact and deal with shame in our lives from the very beginning back when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned and they went and hid from God God comes down and was already working to start to heal their shame and he asked Adam where are you and what were you doing and ultimately what God is doing is he's wanting to Bring out and draw out the truth. And in God's truth, in that light, we can find restoration and healing. 
But because of their sin and shame, they wanted to hide. And don't we do the same thing, though? Don't we do the same thing? We, we like to shift the blame, pretend it's not there. I failed my math test because the teacher was asking questions that weren't on the study guide. It has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I didn't study properly. I didn't understand the material going into the test, right? I didn't get caribou last year because Fish and Game restricted caribou hunts in Unit 13 to bulls only. And they also, they also somehow managed to uh, let the, uh, the, the herd merge up with the northern herd. So it's not my fault. It has nothing to do with my failed strategies as a hunter, but everything to do with fish and game. <laughs> I'd be a really good parent if I had different kids. Okay, I'm, I'm not the only one that thinks this sometimes. And I had to tell my kids, because they sit in here through different services, that, no, 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 I'm not saying I want different kids, but if I had different kids, they would certainly be, I'd be a better parent, for sure. It has absolutely nothing to do with my, my strategies as a parent with my current kids. Nothing at all. It's all my kids. I can't stop working 60 to 70 hours a week because too many people rely on me. And if I stopped, I, I, they wouldn't be supported. It has nothing to do with my belief that they only care about me because I'm supporting them, and supplying them something. So we have a loving God who has given us incredible insight into dealing with shame. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would open up to the book of Ephesians, that's where we're going to start at. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. If you don't have your Bible, you can find one in the seats below you. Uh, there's probably one nearby. Uh, on our app, you can also go and you'll have the scripture. On your talk notes, it's there. And it's also going to be on the screen behind me. So whatever place you find yourself at this morning, if you don't want to lift that Bible, that's cool. Just relax. Just lift your coffee and you'll be fine. We, we'll have it everywhere. Everywhere you look this morning, the scripture is going to be up there. So that's what we're hoping. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, it, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Or Christ will shine on you. God reveals himself as light, and we are children of light if we are in Christ Jesus. And this gets us right to our point this morning. And it's an important point. So I want you, if you're daydreaming, if you were thinking about your grocery list that you need to get after the service, just stop for a second and just look up here. I want you to hear, it's the only point on your talk notes, so it's really important. If you, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, I want you to hear this. Illumination leads to restoration. Life-changing, right? Illumination leads to restoration. When we allow the light and the truth of God to shine into the dark place of our life, it will start a process to restore us to what God intends us to be as people before him. Illumination leads to restoration. When you were a kid and you saw a scary movie, or maybe like me, you had a couple of older brothers who right before bed, it just seemed like clockwork, would tell you a really awesomely scary story, and then you would try to go to sleep. And you're like, what is under the bed? I wonder what's in the closet. 
What's that noise I hear outside? And you're just like in fear, right? And you don't know. And that leads to the kind of the, a, a sub-message that I want you to understand. A sub-point you can write right under illumination leads to restoration. And that is monsters live in unlit places. Monsters live in unlit places. And when we have undealt, un, undealt with shame and guilt in our lives, it will become a monster that lives in a dark place in our heart. As kids, those unanswered questions just lead to maybe some fear and maybe pulling the covers up or running into mom and dad's bed, right? But as adults, we get really good at hiding this stuff, pretending that it's, it's not there or hoping that if we ignore it long enough, it'll just go away and we'll be okay. But the reality is it doesn't go away and it starts to develop into monsters. It starts to develop into things that are really debilitating in our lives. So if the guilt and the shame lead us to hiding, then the solution that God gives us is to step into the light. Allow light to shine in there. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it and we're going to put it on the screen. Uh, 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. When we commit to follow Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, say yes, I want to follow you in my life, you are really committing to a lifetime of God shining a light more and more into your heart, into the dark places of your life. And I don't know about you, but... I don't want you to know all my secrets. Because I'm afraid that if you knew my secrets, if you knew what was really going on inside my head, you would, you would walk, you would run away from me, and I'd be left all alone. But there's part of me, too, that's like, man, I just want to share it all. I just want to spill my guts right now. Because it's hard to manage that shame. It's hard to manage those monsters inside, right? And it'd be really nice just to get it off my chest, and then I don't have to manage them anymore, Right? But that leads to really an internal isolation. It isolates me from God. It isolates me from you guys. It isolates me really from myself. And it leaves me sometimes wondering, who am I really? And that's what undealt with shame and guilt does in our life. It isolates us. It keeps us from engaging other people. So what does it really mean to be exposed by the light? We can say that, and it sounds really cool. It sounds awful churchy, but what does that actually mean? And what it really means is to learn the truth of God and to allow it to, to, to examine us. Like a mirror, we want to look at what God says about us and see what's tr what, what is really true about us. Just like Adam and Eve back in the garden, God wanted to show them, this is what the truth is. You have done something, and we need to address it. While they wanted to hide and pretend it never happened, God was all about the truth. But there's some awesome news. And that news is that in God's truth, as scary as that is, because it, it can be very scary to think about being revealed for what we really are, right? In that truth, we always find grace standing right next to it. So we find God's truth, but we always find grace. You don't have to, to turn there, but you could write this down as well. 
John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We always find grace standing right next to God's truth. And that should bring huge comfort. So practically then, what does it look like? Like in a real practical way, what does it look like to shine light into the dark places, to step into God's truth, to allow God to examine us? Like how, how does that work? And I came up with four things that I think are, are helpful as we start to examine. Like how, do we, how do we let God's light shine into the shame and the guilty places of our lives that seem to be lingering or maybe have held on for, for quite a long time? And the first one is this. We need to face our sin, our shame, and our guilt head on. We've got to face it head on. We have to be proactive in pursuing those dark places in our life. If we hope that just by being passive or ignoring what's going on inside us, that it's just going to go away someday, we're deceiving ourselves. And we're going to find that it's turning into things that we don't like. And it's affecting areas of our lives that we, we had no idea that it would affect. We have to go after it. Uh, in the book, Soul of Shame, that we've, we've been working through in this series, one of the exercises they said to do was take a three-by-five card, and throughout the day, just any time you feel shame, any time you think shameful thoughts, uh, whatever that might be, whether you can articulate it or not, sometimes you just get kind of like a, a weird feeling talking to someone, and you feel a little like inferior, you feel like maybe I shouldn't be here, or I wish, they, I, wish I was as awesome as they are, just put an X on that card. Don't analyze it. Don't, don't try to work through it. Don't question it. Just, just put an X on that card. And that'll help bring awareness to how often shame is with us. So I decided to try that one day. So I tried to find a 3 by 5 card, but I couldn't because, you know, it, it's 2019. So I got my phone out, and I opened a note app. And so I woke up one morning. The day I decided to do this, I was up at 6 a.m. And so Every time I thought about sh- uh, shameful thought or every time I felt it, like, wow, I just, I'm not good enough, uh, you know, you're, you're a loser, whatever, any of those thoughts that were coming into my head, even for a split second, put an X on, uh, in that little file. And you know what was really, I had to stop at 9 o'clock when I got here to ACF. I had over 20 already. And I was like blown away. It was, it was very eye-opening for me personally that I allow so much shame to speak into my life. I mean, have you guys ever watched the show Dexter? How many people have watched the show Dexter? You're, I, I see this because you're, sh- you're shameful, right? <laughs> I love that show. Parts of that show. And if you're not familiar with Dexter, um, Dexter is a forensic scientist by day. And he is a serial murderer at night. And he basically murders bad guys that get off uh, the hook. And then he cuts their bodies up and throws them in the ocean. So it's really an awesome show. It's, it's totally about the cycle of sin. Um, your sin will find you out. Dexter will kill you. Um, but in that show, he talks about that drive for him to be the serial killer as his dark passenger that's always with him. It never goes away. He can satiate it for a little while, but it's always there. And I think shame is a lot like Dexter's dark passenger. In our lives, it's always there. We can kind of ignore it. We can kind of throw things around in our lives and, and focus on something different, but it's still there. It's always with us. The second thing we can do, 
aside from just seeking it out and being proactive about trying to find and shed light into areas of our lives, is repent. Is repent. And this really is for guilt because of something that I've done, choices that I've made, maybe sin in my life. We've got to bring it before God. We've got to be honest. And we have to agree with God, like, hey, I messed up. I did something wrong. And maybe that even means I need to go to people, friends that maybe I hurt, and I need to, to try my best to reconcile those relationships and to, to spread truth into those, those areas of my life. The fear here, though, is that we're going we're gonna to tell people the truth, and they're going to walk away from us, right? They're going to reject us. One thing that's really cool is God never does that. And I think, I think if, if we had God standing in front of us right now, if, if he was like, if you were, maybe you're sitting in your chair and he brought a chair and put it right there and you're, and you're bumping knees and he's looking right into your eyes, what do you think God would say to you this morning, right now? And I think most of us would think that he would, he would be correcting our behavior. He would I can't believe that you're caught up in doing this. I can't believe that you're not more faithful in spending time with me. I can't believe you would do that. Why would you even think those thoughts? But that's not true at all. I don't believe those were things God would say to you this morning. I think he would say, I can't stop thinking about you. I think about you all the time. I love you dearly. And if you, if you want proof, just write this, this uh, chapter down in the Bible and go back and look at it. And it's a great chapter to memorize if you want some ammunition against shame in your life. It's Psalm, the book of Psalm, and it's the whole chapter, 139. Psalm 139. And basically, it's, part of that is, if you could count the number of sand, grains of sand on all the seashores on the planet, or all of the stars in the universe, you'd be, you'd be approaching how much I think about you. You'd be approaching how much I care about you, how much I know about you. And how much I, I love you dearly. That's what God's thinking about you. So when we repent, we don't have to fear. But in our repentance, we also need to be learners. We also need to be learners. When we make mistakes, we can allow our failures to define us or to teach us. Shame wants to define who you are by your mistakes. But the truth wants you to be a learner and to grow from that. And to become more Christ-like as a result. The third thing that I think is helpful is we need to listen to God's voice. And this really is for guilt or shame that isn't your fault. Maybe you, maybe you were assaulted when you were a kid. Whether sexually, verbally, physically. And you're carrying this shame. Maybe there's things that people have said to you over the years or things that you think you've discerned by other people's actions that you're just not good enough. And you, you can't even put it into words, but you just know it. You just feel it deep down inside you. And this is where you have to listen to God's voice. To combat the voice of shame that is with you and whispering in your ear all the time. So when shame says you're not loved, God says, I'll never stop loving you. And when shame says you're a loser, God says you're more than a conqueror. When shame says... God's turned his back on you. God says, I can't stop thinking about you. And when shame says you're hopeless, God says, I have great plans for you. If you've been in our crash course, which is kind of how to connect with God, um, 101, it's for, it's for anybody. And we just had one recently. But in that, we talk about what does God say about you? And there are six things among the many things that God says about us. The truth that God speaks about us. 
And these six, I think, are powerful. And they are these. You are a child of God. When you're in Christ Jesus, he adopts you as a child. And it's a permanent adoption. You are a child of God. You are a friend of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You're no longer condemned. No longer condemned. You're a citizen of heaven. And this is my favorite one. You're God's masterpiece. You're not his screw-up. You're not his leftovers. He didn't get done making everybody else on the, on the planet and then go, oh, I don't have much left, but I'll just throw it together and make you. No. God has unlimited resources, and he made you amazing. And he doesn't make mistakes. But it's not enough just to know God's word. We can know the truth and we can still listen to the voice of shame in our life and let it debilitate us. Adam and Eve, when they were confronted uh, by the serpent in the garden, they quoted what the only command that God had given them, don't eat of that tree, right? Did God say it? Yes, this is what he said. And the serpent comes back and starts to question it, starts to walk them away from relying on the words of God and relying on their own thinking, their own logic, and so then they sin. Fast forward to when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert after, after being uh, fasting for 40 days, right? And he quotes the words of God. Every time Satan says, why don't you do this? Jesus comes back with, but God says this. The difference is Jesus relied on the words of God. He took them as true, and he didn't listen to the voice of Satan. So when we hear the truth from God, we need to stand on it and stand on that alone regardless of what we feel regardless of what we think. The fourth thing, we need to strengthen our connections with God and other people. We need to strengthen our connection with God and others. It's hard to strengthen our connection with God. God is not playing some game of celestial hide and seek. He wants to be found by us. And it says that when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. We've got to focus on it because, to be honest with you, I, I, I chase after all kinds of stuff in my life with my heart. And I wonder sometimes, am I chasing after God with that same heart or am I just kind of like, he's on the side, I hope, I hope someday I stumble across the truth. Put some effort into finding out who God is and building that relationship. And maybe you've got places in your life, groups or people, where you can be safe and you can share your struggles, your darkness with others your secrets, and you can do that without the fear of rejection. And if you've got that, that is awesome. And if you don't, you need to find people, a group of people, that will be that for you, that will allow you to process things with them and that aren't going anywhere. Our life groups are a great place to do that here at ACF Church, and if, you, if you're not in one, I highly recommend you check one out. Maybe for you, it's a recovery group. Maybe there are things in your past that you need a, a group of folks that can relate to you on a different level. Maybe it's a mentoring relationship, a one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm going to tell you, let me blow the roof off of like, what does mentoring look like? Mentoring is you looking around and seeing somebody who's further down the road walking with God, who's a little, just a little bit more mature than you are spiritually, and saying, hey, can I walk with you for a while? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to call out the lies that I see in my life. 
or that you see that I don't? And then just ask and walk in with them. Maybe it's a counseling relationship that you need to develop. Maybe, maybe there are some issues from your past that, that someone, you need someone else from a different perspective to walk with you through that without that judgment. But you need to find those things. We need to be active in restoring those relationships. One of the things I love about ACF Church and working on staff here is that we say we would, we'd rather be stabbed in the front than stabbed in the back. And what that means on our staff is that we tell each other the truth. Whether it's evaluating a sermon, whether it's evaluating uh, an event that we did, uh, whether it, it, whatever it is, how we're interacting with somebody else, we want to tell people the truth to their face so that we're not stabbing them in the back later. And you need people like that. You need people in your life who will stab you in the front and not in the back. So that's what, that's what I'm telling you. Find somebody who will stab you. That is important because good friends will do that for you. Safe friends will do that to you. Most people will not. Most people will just agree with you that you're okay, even when you know there's something not right. We need to deal with it. And here's, here's an amazing news. And it, it's a hard truth, though. People are going to let you down. No matter what group you find yourself in, no matter what friends you have, they are going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. You don't want to. I don't want to. But we will because we're people and we make choices that hurt other people. And we do it all the time, even when we don't want to. We're going to let you down. And that's just the part of it. God will never let you down. God will never turn his back on you because of something you share or something you are. God will lean in and wrap his arms around you and say, I dearly love you. And I'm here, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. Last week, Pastor Brian um, asked you guys to fill out cards on the seats. And they were bundled in stacks of five. And those were to invite people to Easter so that they could hear the message of the grace of Jesus Christ. And you guys, this is amazing. Do you know how many cards left this building? 2,900 cards left this building last week. That's 2,900 people that we may see at Easter who can hear the grace and the love and the truth of God and their lives could be forever changed. So if you haven't given those out to your neighbors, I just want to encourage you, don't lose this opportunity to invite them to our Easter services at Eagle River High School next week. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us in a, in a place of guilt and shame. Lord, that you don't leave us buried in our sin, Lord, but you come in and the first thing you do is you shine a light on it and you call it what it is. You do that so that we can't hide, but Lord, you don't do it from a position of, of crushing us. You do it in, in a position of restoring us and that comes with your grace. And so Lord, I thank you that you temper your truth with your grace. Lord, I thank you that we can find restoration, we can find healing for our shame for our guilt, for our sin. Whether, we, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether we, we deserve to feel those feelings or whether somebody else has put them in our hearts, Lord, that you offer healing, you offer restoration. I love that you are a God who is concerned with the details of our lives, my life. So Lord, I pray that I would step into that light as hard as that is that I could be honest with the God who created me and that I would find 
that I would find peace and restoration and acceptance. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.